0: Hey, welcome to the rusty george podcast a conversation designed to help church leaders and leaders at our campuses and we're so excited to share with you the entire interview i did with brian head welch from the band corn uh, we had a great conversation a few months ago he's so hard to track down because he is now touring with corn again And I had a chance to sit down with him and talk about uh, just his own coming to Christ and leaving the band, getting clean from drugs, and then going back to the band in order to share his story and offering mercy. To them in such a humble way and he just brings up some really good things for all of us to hear so on the weekends i was only able to show about 20 minutes of the conversation but here on this episode of the podcast we're going to give you the entire conversation that we had hope you enjoy and please feel free to share it with someone else all right so brian tell us a little bit about growing up you grew up in as you call it bako bakersfield right bako yeah because it's one hundred and. 15 degrees in the summer, and we bake in the sun. (laughs) So you grew up there. Uh, Tell us about your family a little bit. What kind of home did you grow up in? Middle class
1: home, kind of normal family. My mom was a nurse. My dad was a banker. And it was actually, so we lived in Torrance, California. And I was born in Hawthorne. And that's when uh, my parents had those positions. And then when I turned like nine years old, fourth grade, we moved to Bakersfield. Okay. Yeah, and so we lived by the beach, so they were like, you know, all your friends and everything you've known. And and we started crying, me and my brother, we don't want to move. And then they said, well, we have a pool at the new house with a diving board and a slide and you could swim every day. And we just stopped
0: crying right away. (laughs) Okay, that's all it took. That's all it took. (laughs) So yeah, and grew up in Bakersfield the rest of our childhood. So the guys in your band, I mean, you've known each other for a while, right? And you formed in high school or right out of high school? How did Corn come together? So I, I met the singer in
1: elementary school. We weren't friends, but we knew of each other. I met the bass player in junior high, the, the other guitar player and drummer in uh, just high school. So we would play like little cheesy bands in, uh, in the 80s, like hair
0: metal mm-hmm. or whatever, tight, tight jeans mm-hmm. and big hair. So uh, now, hold on one second. You're saying the 80s bands were cheesy bands? Because that's what i grew up with
1: you did that was solid stuff what was your bands that you liked rat yes docking yep uh-huh. those were my two favorite bands right there you seriously docking was my favorite Rockin' with Dockin. yes motley yeah. crew too but but i like the others better that you mentioned because they had like seems like more musious musicianship like good <laughs> like
0: solos
1: and okay. writing and everything and the the, the vocals were just on, a, on another level somehow. yeah
0: definitely yeah Okay, so grew up with that and then started doing your own thing. And you guys are kind of known for pioneering the the new metal wave. What what made corn different than maybe music before corn? It was really emotional.
1: The music was emotional. Whereas, you know, you got your Nirvana or the hair metal years or Metallica, it was There's a lot of metaphors or something, you know, things like that in music. And when when we started, it was like our singer just opened his soul and got emotional and Mm. would like, you know, whether it was anger at something the parents did or something. It was like he was going through therapy on our first Mm. couple records and talking about childhood issues with parents and talking about relationships and heartbreak and being lost on drugs or whatever. It was just like a crying out and like, this is what you did to me, Mm -hmm. you know? And it was real and raw. It's like you opened his soul Mm. and said, everybody look, Mm. this is what goes on inside of me. Mm -hmm. So it was really powerful. Mm -hmm. And uh, it really ignited kind of a, a reaction in the rock world about, you know, where you can go as an artist in yeah. your, in, with your soul and with your intimate
0: emotions and everything. Right. Okay, so tell us what's going on with you at this point because I'm sure growing up, being a rock star sounds like the greatest thing ever and you achieve it. With that comes a lot of fame, money, but temptation as well. Were drugs something or addiction something that you felt like you'd wrestled with on and off up until that point or was it all brand new to you at that moment?
1: It was brand new um, to the point where I think when I turned about 22, it, it was pretty brand new. I had, I had messed around a little bit. I, I remember eight years old, right before we moved to Bakersfield in Torrance, my friend's brother had, um, you know, I think he was selling weed or something. And so we knew about it. We didn't know what it was. But one day we went and found the roaches in his, in his ashtray and went and tried to smoke it. Mm. And so at eight years old. Wow, So when we moved to Bakersfield it was only like one time we moved to Bakersfield, and you know, I got new friends, and I told them what I did, and then we would go like into, go get parsley and rolled up joints to, you know. And so we were just curious. And, but uh, and then probably seventh grade, some of my friends were smoking, and I got a couple of joints, and I'm telling you, I, I smoked them at my house, I smoked one. And I sat there for like four hours. It was a half day at school. So I sat in the backyard and I smoked it at 1230. And I just sat there and then it seemed like minutes went by and I looked at the clock, it was like five o'clock. And so I had sat there that whole time and I lost track of, I don't know if it was laced or what, but I was like, I don't like this. I just lost this portion of my day and I don't know what happened fell asleep or what, Mm -hmm. but I was like, I don't like this stuff. And so I didn't do drugs, you know, but when I turned 15, it was, it was beer. It Mm. was beer. It wasn't hard alcohol because me and my friends, we kind of like to be in control. We don't want to like throwing up. It just doesn't sound fun, you know, usually not.
0: It was always beer on the weekends. So you get into the rock star life. And is that when you were introduced to meth? Did that become part of your life at that point? Tell us a little bit about the, kind of the downward spiral you went on. I was living in L.A.
1: and I was going back and forth to Bakersfield because it was just we have old friends in Bakersfield, we have new friends in in L.A. or whatnot. We lived everywhere in the L.A. area, from Burbank to to Redondo to uh, um, Huntington Beach, all over the place, Long Beach, and so it was like making trips back and forth, you know. And so one weekend we're in Bakersfield, and there's this girl that told a couple friends she was curious about me and everything. I went to hang out with her. And we ended up at this apartment and somebody just broke out this pink looking dust. And, hmm. and the girl did it and everybody started doing it. And I was like, I'll do it. And I snorted it and it just was like, "Ah!" Oh, it burned so bad hmm. and everybody's laughing. They're like, yeah, that's the burn. And then next thing you know, I was just high as, The clouds. I mean, I felt like my heart was pounding, and I liked that feeling. But after the party was over, everybody went home. I went to my parents' house and went to went to bed, Mm -hmm. and I rolled around for seven hours. And I didn't know. No one. I was so naive. I was like, "Oh, okay. I'm just going to go go to sleep." I couldn't sleep. I got up at 11 a.m. and told my friend. I was like, "What was that stuff? I couldn't even sleep last night." And uh, so we met me at taco bell and went to Taco Bell. i couldn't even eat taco bell because my there was like a sore my roof of my mouth was like so raw and Mm. i was like that stuff is the worst stuff i've ever tried i'm never doing it again and so once we started the band we had this uh tour manager that we found out was a dealer Mm. small time Mm -hmm. and so just hanging out some nights, going to bars and everything. I remember one night I had to drive somewhere and I drank too much. And we would drink and drive a little bit sometimes if we felt we were okay to drive. But this night I wasn't okay. And and uh, this guy goes, I got something that will sober you up. And so right when you do speed and you're drunk, you it's like it sobers you up because you just get so high off that. And so I was like, all right. well I didn't even put it together that it was like the pink stuff, but it, but it was white or whatever. But I tried it and I was just like... Phew then I stayed up all night. I remembered, I was like, you're supposed to, you can't sleep, so I'm just gonna stay up. And so I stayed up all night and then that started. Mm. It, you know, it was like, I knew it was bad. I knew it was a dirty drug. I knew it was like, people talked about it in secret. I didn't tell anybody, but, and when I did it, I would stop mm. because I was like, that's bad. That's, that stuff's gnarly and it's not healthy. <laughs> right. It's not good for you, so.
0: So, your life begins to kind of spiral out of control. You're married at this point in the band, and you have a daughter. Tell us a little bit about when you hit rock bottom and your decision, I got to do something about this.
1: Yeah, just to back up a little bit i I, I got sick of I fell into the to the main thing with uh, with doing the the mess too much. you know I would I'd try to do it like every once in a while because I started like it you know and. Mm-hmm. And then it got more and more. And I got to a point where I was like, I gotta quit. This stuff is not okay and I'm getting addicted. So I quit, I, was, I quit for like two months and then I met my, the mother of my future daughter, you'd say. And uh, so when I met her, she was using, I didn't know at first, mm. but then I found out. And so I told her, look, I'm done with that stuff. And she was going back and forth on it. I broke up with her because of it and everything. And then she finally quit and we ended up together. But uh, when corn came, And we formed that band. It was all at the same time. And some of the other guys, I found out, were using it too. And then once we found out each other was using it, we we were like, oh, you're doing it too? And then we started doing it together and writing songs and everything. And you think you can write masterpieces like Mozart when you're high. Mm -hmm. Then you listen to it the next day and you're like, (laughs) that's the worst song I've ever heard. (laughs) So it's like really, it's really misleading. But um, so when the band started to tour, it was like, that drug is not gonna get, bring us success. So when we hit the road, we got to focus, we got we to play, you know? And so no more meth, it was done. But when we hit the road, we got like a Jägermeister endorsements. We got the um, Coke dealers around us. We got girls that just wanted to party. And so we fell into the other traps, but we're like, it's not methamphetamine. So mm. a little bit of Coke, you know? So we were doing the other stuff and that progressed over years and years me and my wife ended up getting divorced, and there was, we, we would fall back into mess sometimes, like on a weekend, and then the whole next week we'd be arguing physical fights. You know, there was bloody faces a couple of times. There was, it was just, it was just horrible. And, uh, but we kept going back and forth. And so, the rock bottom, I'd say, when she left me, found a boyfriend when I was on tour with Metallica. She was with these guys in my house and, uh, my daughter was there and I found out about it and I called her and she said, I'm leaving you. I have a boyfriend and uh, taking half your money. And they were all speed freaks. Like we messed around with it, but these guys were like tweakers mm. and they were in my house stealing things, taking it to my friend's pawn shop, trying to sell it. And mm. I sent my friend over there. I said, there's these dudes in my house. They're taking my stuff and my daughter's there. And, he, and I was like, go to Rob's house, get his gun go over there and tell him to get out just in case you know, someone like, and I, I'm not thinking, I'm so lame. I'm just so, oh, I can't even believe the things I did, but I mean, my daughter's there and he has a gun. like. Mm-hmm. And so luckily they weren't home and my daughter was there with a 17 year old babysitter and they, they knew I was coming home. So they left all the guys and my, my wife left. And so she wanted me to visit with the kid. And so I visited with my daughter, but I was like, I'm not leaving her here. I took her on the road. Mm. I took her on the road and I got sober. After that tour, we came home and uh, I just focused on being a dad. I ended up getting full custody because my ex-wife, she didn't show up because she thought I was so powerful with the lawyers I had that she didn't have a chance and she was on meth and everything. And so I got full custody, sober four months, 9-11 happens, I start stressing out over the world and fear and everything and I start drinking again. And then I go full force and back into the drugs for a couple of years. I ended up moving back to Bakersfield where it all started. Promised I wasn't gonna do meth ever again. When I was in Bakersfield one night, I was hanging out with this guy. He had an oil business, he was rich, and we were talking about just drinking and how we used to do meth. He told me his his employees do meth and that they're really good workers (laughs) because they're so energetic. And we ended up getting too drunk and called one of them. And I was like, just this one night, became a two-year addiction. I became just like those guys and my ex Mm what I judged, I became, and uh, took it all over the world to Asia, Europe, everywhere. And uh, I ended up just a meth head. I I tried to go to outpatient rehab to get off it at the end of that two-year thing in uh, 2004. But as a last resort, my friends invited me to go to church. And that was when
0: the shift happened. Okay. Let's talk about that. You show up at church. What were you thinking? What were you feeling at that moment? Did you think, I'm not welcome here, I don't belong, or were they, were they welcoming you in? Tell me about that whole experience, what's going on? It was crazy because I knew that,
1: the, this is what I knew about Christians, that they didn't drink, cuss, or smoke. That Christian TV channel in the 80s that you flip through when, when you have like 30 channels, that one weird channel, when they're on the weird chairs and the gold chairs and, the, and they're hooting and hollering, and I'm like, Ugh, you know, change the channel quick. Or Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. That's what I was like, okay, the people, they're the ones that people kind of make fun of and they don't, they think they're all holy and perfect. And that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. But the guy that took me to church built monster trucks and built sports cars. And he would, he had this business that uh, he would, he would soup up these cars and take them to car shows like in SEMA in Las Vegas and mm-hmm. he would win every year. And his family were Christians. Mm. And him and his real estate broker. I got into business with him and I bought a big piece of land with him. We're gonna develop. And so I became friends with these guys and I was drawn to them because they had happy families and they had, it was just, there was a closeness, you know? Mm-hmm. And they asked me to go to church. They didn't, they must have known I was on something because I was a rock star and I looked like, you know, I just looked like I was on something. <laughs> To tell you the truth, but I would lie to everybody, you know. But they invited me to go to church. I walk in there, and there's the pastor and uh, all these people. The worship's playing. I hear the song "Majesty," and it touches like I'm an emotional guy. And it, I was like, mm. this. I didn't know what it meant, but I was like, this is this is really beautiful music, mm. and I felt that peace, you know. And when the pastor got up, he just looked like he dressed normal. He didn't look holier than thou or nothing. And he talked about. Christ coming in to live inside of you. And that all the things that, if you have things in your life that you're doing that are hurting you and harming you, if you stick with Christ and start to grow, then they can't
0: stay and your whole life will change. Mm. All right, so we're talking in this uh, series about justice and mercy and humility. I'm really curious about mercy from your perspective because it's at this moment you sense the mercy of God in your life. Tell me a little bit about that and tell me a little bit about the mercy of the people around you. Did you did you feel like you were accepted by them and brought in by them? Did you sense that kind of mercy like you did from God? Well, it was crazy because the church was in Bakersfield and
1: corn was like really famous in Bakersfield because we're like we're famous all over the world. But we're from that town. So it was a it was a crazy situation to be a celebrity and to walk into this church needing help because people are like oh my gosh that's from corn you know yeah. and uh so it it was like a and I was high on meth I mean I went to church high, with meth like high mm-hmm. cuz I I was doing it every day and when I came home I would try to be the you know the, the best dad and I would kind of try to chill on on it but I was a functioning this is how I functioned I could if I stopped doing meth I would I would sleep for a month so when I went into church, it was like it fe- I felt like everyone was accepting. Yeah, I felt like there was love and and I felt like God's mercy. Just it was like, I just love you mm-hmm. and I don't care what you have done and what whatever you have done to ruin your life. Just come to me.
0: Mm.
1: And that was the scripture. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come to me, all are weary and burned and I will give you rest and a couple different people that didn't know each other were giving me that verse. <laughs> and so that was God just telling me, I started to, I started to think that they were conspiring against me. <laughs> like, you know, oh, you told that person to buy me that card. Oh, the pastor put that verse on the screens. I see what you guys are doing. You know, you're trying to save the rock star too. like, you know, and then, but I'm like, I need this. And people are telling me, no, it's God. Yeah. This is God. He's reaching out to you. That's your scripture. Yeah. And I started to realize it was, and it all became real. And then, oh my gosh, the excitement for life. When I found out that it was real and not just, hmm. I was like, God is real. And he, he like leads you and guides you and gives you signs and, huh. and shows himself, reveals himself to you. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever. And it was just like, I don't understand how people... Don't feel like I did. Mm. People are like, oh my gosh, this guy's like, mm. even the guy that took me to church, he's like, Brian, calm down. <laughs> you know, it's just, you don't got to get all weird. And it's, you know, some people get weird and spiritual. Like I'm like, you don't understand. Mm. This is like what I've been looking for my whole
0: life. Right. So you decide you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus. And then you made some, some pretty bold moves. One was obviously you, you got sober but then you also quit Corn, and, and left the band. And then you decide, I'm gonna be a Christian musician. And the reception wasn't all that great from people. Corn was not all that happy with you. Yeah. The church people, they didn't go to your concerts or buy your music. I mean, did you sense like, where's this mercy I once had, now it's kind of gone? How'd you feel about all that? That's a great question because the first,
1: like when I started encountering God, like I told you, and I felt that mercy and that just come to me. All I want is you. Oh, that other stuff, the drugs and all that, the anger, all the rage. We'll work that out. Just Mm. come to me. And I just felt his embrace. So for a year, I felt like that just bliss, you know, Mm. mostly, not all the time, but mostly just bliss and like, oh my gosh, God is real. And then I, you know, he would lead me to certain messages or books and It'd be like, you just pray for more faith, pray for more faith. And then the things in my life that were, had me feel stable and everything. I would be like, God, I want more faith. I want to have faith like the guys in the Bible. Then my money like grew wings, (laughs) flew away. And then I had these other Christian, uh, Christian businessmen or whatever that I got into business with. And um, one of them ended up being like a former shady, uh, like kind of a, a gangster, like New York, you know, that mm-hmm. was doing that kind of stuff, really rough business. And so, but he tried to be a Christian and God really touched him, but his business ethics were very, it was just rough. And so he, he blew my money. He blew his family's money. Like that's why I felt good about it. Cause he was getting money for the, from his family and putting it into our mm. businesses with mine. So I was like, well, you know, oh, this is fine. Like yeah. he's we're equal. And, but he was losing their money, my money, everybody's money. But he thought God like, was blessing his, I don't know, it was really twisted. Yeah. So, so yeah, and then I started the Christian music and, uh, and just trying to play the festivals. And there was, some, there was a lot that supported me. And so I'll give, I'll, I'll give applause to them. There was, you know, it was a small group, but mm-hmm. there was some, but when I hit the road, it was like, they didn't know what to do with me. And then some of the Christian radio, even rock, like metal radio, they were like, there's no hope in your music. Like. Where's the hope? Where's the message of the cross in Christ? I'm like, my my lyrics are, I'm paralyzed. I need you now. Like, help me. Yeah. I mean, how more, how much more real can I get? It's, It's a, it's a, it's a prayer to the Lord. And he's like, it just sounds depressing. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And what's with all the tattoos and this. And it was like the opposite of who I knew God to be, who I encountered. A lot of people make the mistake. This is a key moment in in a Christian uh, walk, and it happens at churches all the time. A lot of people that this happens, and they make the mistake to leave the church and walk away from God. It's like we're given this, hon- honestly, a test of where how far are we willing to go, and like, will we suffer with the Lord? Will we will we walk away from Him when things go wrong? You know. And mm-hmm. so, thank God, I was given grace to just stay in it and. Uh, mm-hmm. I know one thing that was the biggest thing uh, that, you know, the, the spiritual enemies we have, whatever that looks like is unforgiveness. So I would always forgive and be like, Lord, I, I would love to choke these guys out, but I choose to forgive them and, and, and I just bless them and, you know, help me, you know, that type of thing. So I never walked away from him, but it was a very
0: high lack of mercy. For somebody that's new on their spiritual journey, at that point in your life, that's a very mature thing to do, to be able to say, all right, just because the church acted this way, I know that's not God, I'm staying on this. What I love about your, your movie that came out recently, uh, Loud Crazy Love, about the journey of you and your daughter through all of this, yeah, is you really chronicle your journey of, you know, absolute rock bottom, leaving the band, and then kind of your own questioning of, well, why aren't people receiving this the way that I thought they would? And then you extend mercy to the band and you come back to the band and you're now sharing the love of God on a huge platform now with all the people that are fans, but in a very non-judgmental, loving way. Talk about that transformation a little bit and, and kind of where you are now with that.
1: Oh man, what a journey it's been. I mean, I couldn't uh... I couldn't have imagined this or written this path that i've taken it's like only god can do this because when i left corn it was like my story was they had a 23 million dollar check from a new label that 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 corn was given when i was leaving Hmm. so i had to walk away from all of that money and so to walk and do my own thing and there were some high moments i'm not gonna and again i want to say there were some awesome christians that that it was like god would send me people to encourage me with with all the backlash but and then he would give me like i had the book deal my book Save me for myself i wrote that became a uh, new york times bestseller and so there were some high moments that were Mm -hmm. he was showing me look i'm using you not everybody understands you but let's walk this unique path together but um as i walked through this journey with them i made many Mm -hmm. mistakes you know and so i wasn't showing people mercy all the time either Mm. So I, I'm not saying like I was all perfect by any means. So it's a process and we all we got to learn through the process, though. And that's why I was willing. I was like, Lord, just teach mm. me, correct me. You know, so that's where I tried not to get bitter against people because I screwed up, too. You know, mm. I remember when I left the band and I found out the bass player became Christian. I was like, how are you in the band and you feel good about playing those songs? You know, and I told him that. So that was like that was a mercy. That was right. I <laughs> was judgmental. And so I learned as I went back and and I started playing around and my my solo career did start to grow like little by little by little. But the crazy thing is, if you don't know, like how to follow the Lord and get counsel from people, it's like you can miss it because you can't figure out the Lord, especially in my life. And so my, as my career was going growing a little bit, hmm. I ended up getting these cooler shows and I ended up connecting with Corn, and I saw them at some big rock festival and they asked me to play a song with them. I played a song with them and singer breaks down in tears and has to, he was just, thank you for this last experience. Um, if we never play again, thank you for giving me this memory. Cause it was a positive memory mm. instead of the negative when I left and so, and it was just, I saw God doing this and a lot of people got emotional with my, that appearance cause it spread over the internet. My dad even cried the next day cause he, he knew these guys since we were little, you know, and he was like, what a, cool thing to see. Mm. And uh, no one thought they would see it. And I just felt, honestly, we're talking about mercy. I felt the mercy of of Jesus for my band and for the big crowd of those people. And I was watching at that concert before I played with them, I was looking out at the crowd and I just felt, I felt a whisper, like almost in my own mind and thoughts and everything that, that the Lord just kind of came through. And he was like, these are my people and I want them. And I felt that in my emotions. And I was, I got, I'm listening to this band, Five Finger Death Binds and I'm getting, and I'm watching them and like almost tearing up. And I'm like, this has got to be the Lord because (laughs) it doesn't make sense. (laughs) And so, so they asked me to come back and I remember that and I got advice and counsel from people. And I just walked back into that, that atmosphere and joined the band again. And it's, it's, it's raw. It's real and it's raw and there's some partying going on, but there's no groupies backstage. There's no hard drugs ever. Us guys, we don't party anymore. Like the guys in, there's a couple wine drinkers and a couple beer drinkers in our, in our,
0: with our crew, but it's just chill now. It's about the music and the fans. The great thing about your journey is your daughter has been front and center for all this. Tell us where she is now. You guys seem to have a great relationship and just what's God done in her life? I'm so proud of that kid. I mean, I feel like
1: what God gave me, which is the grace and the strength to really work on things and to share struggles. He's given her that grace because on our movie, in our uh, new movie, "Loud Crazy Love," it's going to be available in June. And there's going to be two. You saw the version. It's it's pretty real and raw. And there's going to be an edited version and stuff too. But um, so that's coming out June 2nd. But um, she shared all of the struggles that, that she went through as a teen. Mm. I raised her, tried to raise her with Christ, you know, in the church and connect with the right people and all that. But when she turned 13, 14, she fell into the, um, just, uh, her mom's been out of her life. So those issues came up and me and her butting heads. And it was just, I was trying to be dad and mom for years and she started harming herself and, mm. and cut, cut, she cut her arms, both sides in 2013. So I, I found a I had to get really uh just deep counseling for her long term and so I found a boarding school that had counseling, school, other girls with similar issues and uh it was in a the school was set up in a house, 8000 square foot house, with the basement was the school and they would there was like horses around next door and there was it was just really cool atmosphere and so the hardest day of my life was when I dropped her off there against her will because she threatened she would run away. So I just kind of went there, checked out the school and said, I'm sorry to tell you, but I'm enrolling you today. And she broke to pieces and I did, too. I cried for like an hour and uh, but it was the best thing for her. So so she's been there five years. She's now graduated high school. She's in online college taking uh, creative writing Mm. and she works for the school. Wow. And so she's going to speak around places with me Hmm. this year and she's done press with me in New York and national press and and uh, local press and just I couldn't be more proud of this kid man she's she's just talked about all of her dark times and it's amazing God is so good he restores all
0: things Hmm. all things if you just give him your life and trust him For anybody out there watching this who's a parent of a child that they think might be experimenting with drugs or self-harm, you know, what would you say to them? Having been on both sides of this, as one who Mm -hmm. dealt with it and one who watched their daughter deal with it, what would you say to them as a way to encourage them and how to interact with their their teen? The things that I say are, are like easier
1: said than done because you know, when my daughter was going through her thing, the best thing for me to be was love, you know, but even though I was walking with Jesus, it was like, I was brought up a certain way, you know, and my parents were loving, but they were, you know, my dad was a little controlling and and this and that, and he had anger issues. So I had all those issues too. Mm. So I was trying to control her and tell her you needed, you know, and I needed to love her. And just, you know, I did everything I could. I tried to get counseling and, you know, me and her counseling and and, uh, all of that stuff. But one thing I tell people is that you only have these, uh, we, we have our children for a certain amount of years before they're legal adults. And so you do anything in your power to help them. And that's what I did with that. When I took her to the boarding school, it was tough love and it broke me. And I felt like I was abandoning, abandoning her, you know? Mm -hmm. And, but I looked at her and I said, I'll never abandon you through tears. I was like, she was just broken. I said, I'll never abandon you even though I was leaving her there. And so I had to do that. It was the hardest thing I ever did. And, uh, it was the best thing for her, and so I would just give that advice: do anything and everything you can. Love them, love them, love them, love them. But if they're not responding to you, you have to get real with your options because I know
0: we love our kids too much to let them just fall. You know. For those that might want more information on that particular boarding school, can you tell us the name and information on it? Yes, it's Awakening Youth. Okay. Um, if you could just type my name brian welch corn
1: awakening youth through google will come right up but they they take a lot of calls and um they are they are expanding and uh they've really helped me a lot and they've helped people as far as like maybe connecting them with other Mm -hmm. uh, um, facilities you know Mm -hmm. if uh if if they're not a right fit so they're just good people and they they Mm -hmm. they have a they have a system and a program that works and our daughter my daughter is living proof and their whole school it's like the success rate is really high that's great yeah and you know what's crazy the girls that's that stay there and go through the pro the program a lot of them end up coming back Mm. like when they're in their 20 or something hey i want to come back and just hang around or or work or help out in the school or something like that and so that says a lot about a uh, program if the kids are wanting to come back on their own, with their as own a, will, you know. As
0: opposed to just running. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. great. This has been fantastic, thank you. Um, I just want to ask you some random questions now, top of your head. Uh-oh. This is, this is just for fun. Okay? okay. Greatest rock band of all time, besides Corn. who would that be? Greatest
1: rock band of all time? Oh, Poison, of course. Poison? I'm just joking. <laughs> Hey, I love you, CC DeVille. But, uh, Pick no. up that guitar, talk to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you do know that era. I do. Um, Led Zeppelin, you know?
0: It's hard to get away from them, isn't it? Yeah. Aerosmith, they're still going. Yeah. How are the Rolling Stones still going at that age, performing at that level? Like, nobody could talk me into doing that.
1: I just need to, I, I want to be done and have some rest when I'm in my 70s, you know? It's like, but I admire them so much, and, um, and I applause to them. But I applaud them for doing what they do. Okay, uh, top five greatest guitarists of all time. Brian Welch. Uh, <laughs> no. There's him, and then there's Definitely the rest. Definitely no. Yeah. I am not a lead player. There's so, I, I know kids that are teenagers that are, that are better lead players than me. It's just crazy. But, so, um, obviously, Eddie Van Halen and... Uh, you know, J- Jimmy Page. But my favorites, let's just give my five favorites. Okay? okay. Like Eddie Van Halen, George Lynch. I really like the Edge. Yeah. From Because he opened up a whole new door of just ambient sounds, you know, with the guitars. So the, the Edge, George Lynch from Dokken. They're Malmsteen. I used to love Yngwie Malmsteen. Have you heard of that? No. Oh, he is. It's like, he does like Mozart and style, like classical with um, leads. Really? Yeah, it's just. You, your, your jaw will drop if you just look at them on YouTube. Okay. And uh, one last one, A Say Warren D. Martini Rat.
0: Okay. I really loved his solos. Your books are Save Me From Myself, and what's the, the latest one? With My Eyes Wide Open. Eyes Wide Open,
1: okay. And that kind of, it's kind of like the, goes with the story of the, of the movie, yeah. but it's in book form, you know? And yeah. Yeah, Loud Crazy Love is, out everywhere. It's on Showtime, so Showtime released it as uh, exclusive, and they have the rights for a certain amount of time and everything. And so they're going to have it for a couple of years, I think. And then, but we are able to sell it digitally everywhere. June second. Okay. So, June second. Yeah. And you can get one or two versions. Two versions, yeah. One that's more raw. Yeah. And the other more kid friendly. Because the people in my uh, tribe in the metal world, they need real. They need raw. They need they need something. Like this generation could smell a phony, and if mm-hmm. it's not real, they'll just like, next, mm-hmm. you know. And so, we wanted it. I wanted to show different point of views, how people um, believe and think and talk. Right. And and they're in my family, like my singer, and I'm, I'm, he's like he's like my family. And so, am I gonna accept him, or extend mercy to him and love him just the way
0: he is? You know. Mm-hmm. The movie is fantastic, and it's incredibly raw, but very real. The interviews with your parents are just priceless. They're <laughs> so, they're just precious people. Yeah. And, uh, and we
1: butt heads a lot, but I'm so proud of the people yeah. they are now. And I hope they can see this because they would yeah. love that you said that. Absolutely. Well, thanks again. Appreciate yeah. it, buddy. Yes, thank you. I love your church and what you do. And you're one of my favorite uh, speakers. I don't know if you knew that, but... I
0: did not. Thank want. you very thank much. Thank you, buddy. That's <laughs> an honor. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. Uh, If this was beneficial to you, please write a review and share it with somebody else. And make sure you go and you subscribe to the uh, Rusty George YouTube channel where we have all kinds of videos and uh, conversations there that you can have uh, at your disposal as well. Uh, We'll see you next week with a special podcast as we get to hear the the extended interview with Christine Kane.